All right. Woo! We are here. Uh, tonight seemed like a perfect evening for some bourbon and some... That's oh, a red beer. That's a red beer. That's cat's go-to. A go-to. Chilada. Chilada. What does that even mean? It's got chilada in it. Or it's clamato. <laughs> it's got gelato in it. Okay. Yeah, thanks. you know. Real self-explanatory. What is that? It's a bourbon. It's, it's What's a, in it? It's got bourbon in it. It's a Bud Light with clamato in it. And the thing is, you can't just mix Bud Light and tomato juice or Bud Light and even clamato juice and get quite the right mixture and flavor. It's so you're saying Budweiser did it right. Yeah, they did it right. Guys, well, guys and gals, excuse me. Welcome to this week's Yawa. It's that time again, and we've got a couple of cool announcements. We've got uh, some really, really great questions. Thank you, everybody that sent questions in. I think we're in the we, almost, we did we top a hundred this week. I don't know if we quite hit a hundred. It was really close, though. It's a ton, and all that means is that y'all really enjoy um, this. And you enjoy and you respect and 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 trust our opinions trust is a great and word. our answers. As I'm just, 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 just a duck. Um, thank you for sending in the questions. I'm sorry for those of you that we don't get to. Uh, check out Patreon. We'll mention that a couple times when it's uh, good to be mentioned. But definitely check that out if you don't hear your question answered here tonight. We're doing that on the daily and... Um, it's a good place to ask. So Yeah, especially if you have a question that's burning a hole on your screen and we're not getting to it because we can only get to so many questions, definitely feel free to head on over to our online dog training community and ask your question there because it will get answered. 100%. All right, guys, so to start off, I want to say thank you to our patrons. This Since was we kind just of a them. yeah. This was kind of a segue that direction. Um, we have just over two hundred patrons now, which is absolutely fantastic. It is crushing. What we, can we kind of floated around a hundred for a while, and in the last couple of months, it's absolutely blown up. Just over two hundred patrons. Uh, you guys are the guys that and gals that are helping continue to feed this content. Um, all of the equipment, all of the money that goes into Patreon buys equipment, pays for editing, pays for everything that goes into this. Every dollar spent there goes directly back into creating more content. So thank you, everybody that signed up on Patreon. Whether you're a $5 supporting the content or a $50 VIP where you get phone calls, All of you are awesome. All of you are helping continue this content. So without further ado, let's answer some questions. Um, I think that... This is a good question because it's going to segue into what you want to talk about. Fine. I know. I can read Bring on the question. I can read his mind. (sighs) What do we got? From Catherine Cromwell on Facebook. Hi, Catherine. You show Thunder being with an older dog. Do you recommend allowing free range of a 8 to 10 week old puppy to be with an older dog? Since their teeth are so sharp, are you not afraid of the older dog hurting the puppy? Hmm. 
So with our older dogs, we're pretty confident and comfortable with how they're going to interact with our puppy. Uh, We always advocate not only for Thunder so that he doesn't get hurt by the older and bigger dogs, but we also advocate for the older dogs like Grandpa Rex and any of them that if Thunder's just pestering and pestering and pestering and not giving them a break, we say, okay, Thunder, it's time to stop trying to bite their ears and bite their face and go lay on your dog bed, uh, try and redirect his focus to something else with a toy and his dog bed or a chew bone. And if worst case scenario, he just can't cut it out. He can go spend a little time in his crate and think about it for a little bit and then come back out and see if he can behave a little bit better with the rest of the dogs. Yeah, with the the puppy aspect of things, a lot of it comes down to conditioning the right behaviors, which in order to condition the right behaviors, sometimes it just is involving preventing the conditioning of the bad behaviors. So with the puppies, you know, being out, it becomes a big uh, advocating for both sides of that. So, Which leads to this next question. Okay. From Christy Rains, mm-hmm. our eight-month-old male GSP loves to play chase, keep away, and play fight with our friends coming on two-year-old male GSP. We have a friend who was severely bitten separating his two intact DK males when their play fight unexpectedly turned serious for the first time. Do you allow your male dogs to play fight outside the house and during off time not hunting? Any tips for keeping it friendly, preventing it from turning serious? Well, I can tell you that uh, that is exactly how I lost the tip of this finger. It was a play fight gone wrong. I have all of my fingers. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the tips that we have for not allowing it to escalate and to keep it friendly and preventing it from turning serious is we don't let it happen at all. Uh, We don't let our dogs face fight. People call it face fighting. We don't let them rough house. Whether it's inside, definitely not. Uh, Or even outside, we don't want it to escalate because their dogs and their way of naturally communicating with each other is through body language. And if one of them doesn't want to back down, it can easily escalate because the other one doesn't want to back down. And then it's a fight um, because dogs are... Uh, ultimately descendants from wolves and they have that pack mentality and somebody when things get riled up is going to try and put somebody else in their place and if the other dog doesn't want to be put in its place they're going to have a go about who's actually more dominant. Yeah some dogs uh, can get along and do that and do that for years and whatever until something happens like just like you said the situation We just had a client of ours actually call us that his two half-sisters, that they've gotten along for years and just all of a sudden they don't get along anymore. There were some issues a little bit in the beginning and they came in for training. We were able to kind of work through that. And now years, a couple of years later, at least two years later, Mm -hmm. um, now they're back to the point where they're having these discrepancies. Now, um, I'm not there. I don't see what happens 100%. And I think part of the situation that he, he and I talked about was that uh, he didn't 100% see what happened. He said he felt like it was pretty unprovoked, but um, there is times where they get unsupervised time. And um, I think that that becomes kind of a dogs go entertain yourselves, you know, and when dogs it's the easy are, button. Yeah. When they're left to their own devices, they they act as dogs do. 
which sometimes involves a dog fight. Yeah. And so I would say limiting the way that your dog is interacting with your friend's dog would be your best bet. Not letting them play chase and keep away and and interact in that play fighting manner because it can easily escalate. Uh, your eight-month-old can get a little bit older. That testosterone can really kick in. And then it becomes more a uh, show of dominance and not necessarily playing, truly playing anymore. And that's when a fight could break out. And we definitely wouldn't want you guys yeah. to get severely bitten either. Yeah, it takes, I mean, it takes a second to go from that was fun to it's no longer fun. And breaking and, up a dog fight is no fun. No. And um, I've even talked to other breeders that have different opinions on how dogs should be allowed to interact. And when you have more than usually two dogs, you get into the pack zone and some people raise them as such and allow different dogs to set hierarchies within them. And, and that, again, to me, is the easy button. It says, OK, go figure it out for yourselves. Well, yes, they will figure it out for themselves. But the, the question is, what is going to happen in that There's definitely going to be some fallout. I mean... We were talking about thunder in the last question. You know, if we just said, oh, they're going to straighten themselves out and figure it out for themselves, he could easily get snapped or bit or, you know, lose an eye because it was a serious altercation, yeah. you know, and got taken is, a little bit too far. He'll learn. Well, he will, but at what cost? That's the the question to, you know, and, and we're more about that. Like I just mentioned before, um, developing good habits by preventing the bad ones from becoming habits. So, um, a, you know, that ounce of prevention becomes a, a pound, pound of, of, cure. of cure. So, or is better than whichever, however it's said. I don't know. Something to that effect. It's, Put it uh, in the comments if you know what the real saying Yeah, come is. on, help me out here. Um, we're just looking for, if, if we're doing, if we're having that little bit of forethought, we can potentially prevent something that could be really bad. Now, you may never have any issues. You may have always raised your dogs to entertain themselves and do their things, but there are going to be some people that end up with dog fights and get bit or, or lose fingers or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and we get called out for generalizing our, our information. Well, that's because for the most part and for the general population, these are the answers. Uh, it's the rare case that dogs can interact and play fight and play chase and keep away and never have an issue. They'll all do it right up until they don't. And for me, it's that it's the, the fallout of that, I, that I don't really want to deal with, you know, and, and you're just lucky up until this point that it hasn't happened to you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And the 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 next part of that goes into when it does happen, you end up with situations like somebody getting severely bit. Now, I will say we have dog fights happen. It, it, dogs have small, you know, situations where they grump at each other or stuff happens. We have They're dogs, dogs around. Yep. They're dogs. And we're prepared to deal with that. And then there are still situations where... I get bit or something happens or whatever, but it, that's very few and far between because we're pretty good at breaking up the fight and knowing and reading the dogs where the danger zones are. And it's and it's, reading their postures and body language and recognizing that, hey, they're kind of getting stiff and not really comfortable with we this. We can stop a lot situation. of stuff before it happens. Yep. yep. Nip it in the bud. 
So I think that was a great question. Hopefully we answered it well enough. Yes, I think that we I think that we did. Next question. This was a good one. Somebody's been watching our Instagram story, which we love it when people ask questions about our stories. So they were asking, I found it here a second ago. I saw in your IG stories that you give your dogs a bone while in their kennel. What brand do you use? Our seven-month-old GSP destroys his toys and devours his chews, and I'm worried about bowel obstructions from Deezen Devers on Instagram. That is a great question. Pull up the statistic and, real quick. Um, so on our IG stories, we're using pork chops a lot of times in uh, those stories, as well as we have some new chews coming to our online store. Um, link www.standingstonekennels.com slash store. Yeah, you were close. You kind of half butchered it. but We'll put it in the description somewhere. But we've got some really great new chews coming that are going to be antler chews as well as we're going to have pork chomps actually on our site instead of just a recommended item. Uh, Nutri chomps are another offshoot of pork chomps. And all of those are really awesome treats. Uh, The antlers are definitely going to last a little bit longer than the actual pork chomps. But those pork chomps are going to be great uh, chews as well. And they're going to last a pretty decent amount of time. We actually use the little-sized pork chomps for Thunder in his crate right now to give him some settle-down time, something special to have while he's in his crate instead of just uh, empty space. I thought this was it. I found it. So, like Kat was talking about, the pork chomps aspect of things, um, we found they have a bunch of statistics posted on their website because it is still, uh, it looks very, very, very similar to a rawhide. The biggest difference is, the actual material that's used and the process in which they prepare it is not rawhide. So it's a baked process. Yep. That is a big part of it. And then they're actually using, um, let me see if they say here, the, the quality of the stuff because rawhide is typically, it's, it's a byproduct of the lender, the leather industry. Um, and it is made during the tanning process. When the skin is split into an inner and outer layer, rawhide manufacturers are using material that is started in the leather tanning process as a treat for your dog. So it says the unlike rawhide pork chops are developed specifically with a dog's health in mind. Um, dogs need to chew and they created a healthy alternative to rawhide. Now, a big part of it is... Um, so they're using pork skin, pork rinds or fried pork skin, which is something that we eat and Kat and I've talked about as a go-to road snack because we it's, like them. it's fairly healthy, high in protein. And you just got to watch the sodium content sometimes. It's sodium, but um, it says that our patent process removes 70% of the pork fat resulting in a tasty and healthy dog chew. Now, the best part about that, which goes directly with your question is um, after 24 hours, 99.9% of the pork chomp is digested. So there's drastically less of an issue with uh, any kind of bowel obstructions or anything along those lines because the body is very easily able to digest it. We have never had any issues with pork chomps, but um, I'm sure that there's the potential something someday could happen, but the likelihood is drastically less as they're a much healthier and easier to digest treat for the dogs. Yes, which actually leads into the last question from Sue Fox, who's actually also a patron. So thank you for your question, Sue. Sue. 
I want to know about dental care. When do you introduce? What do you use? How often do you clean teeth? So we actually don't do specific teeth brushing with our dogs, but mm-hmm. we do offer them a lot of the chews that we were just talking about, uh, the pork chomps and antlers and things like that that are going to be pretty abrasive and scrape a lot of that plaque off, uh, as well as, you know, we're feeding Yukonubas large breed performance food that has um, an additive that helps with the plaque building up. Um, And then every once in a while, we do take our dogs in for uh, some dentals. Muddy had a dental. On occasion, a couple years ago. We don't Uh, have to do very many of them. We don't. And honestly, she had a dental because she had to have a tooth removed because of a foreign foreign body body infection. infection. Yeah. It was, uh, it had, it migrated, it started in her tooth. A seed got caught up in her tooth and it worked all the way through her gum line and, and then came out popped her cheekbone, cheek. like the skin, obviously not through her bone, but, um, it popped out here and I found that and went, who started around antibiotics and then realized that the tooth kind of looked funny too, when we were doing our standard checkups. And that's one of those things that can hide very easily for, be there for a long time. And I took her into our vet, um, and he said, yeah, we need to take this tooth out. It, it couldn't be saved. It was it was infected, and we didn't want that to cause more problems and infect the bone of the jaw or anything like that. So it was the better option was to remove that tooth altogether. Remove the tooth, put her on antibiotics. And then since she was already sedated for that procedure, we are like, eh, let's do a dental. Uh, but honestly, for most of our dogs, we don't have to do that because of the no. way that they take care of their teeth from the dog food, as well as the treats and chews that they're eating. So the key with chews, and I think the biggest mistake that people make is you end up with dogs that, and this was mentioned before, chews through everything, destroys everything. Well, that was part of the question, actually. Love to destroy stuff. They love to chew things up. And imagine um, if you were to say, this is my project, right? I'm going to do this thing to entertain myself. You dogs are fairly simple-minded and the chew bone is a treat but as well as it's something to keep them focused they're working dogs they want to be actively doing something and your job is to move this sand pile which won't be fun but it's moving a sand pile from point Sounds a, like a to point b thing to do okay we come up with a, something we, we actually have a have sand a pile, sand pile yeah, so. moving sand is horrible but um We'll come up with something better, something you would want to do. I don't know where you're going with this story. Something I want to do, definitely not move sand. Uh, anything. We can we can make this work with anything. Come on. Read a book. Okay. So okay. let's say even move though. Move sand or read a book. Come well, on, people. See, the the uh, the game and everything else is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, like maybe I'm excited oh. about the physical activity and oh. moving the sand Building some muscle, getting a good sweat on. So I would say by next week's Yawa, that pile of sand is going to be moved since Ethan's looking forward to that. Sure. I'll move it across the driveway. (laughs) Whatever. So you're going to read your book, right? Mm -hmm. You love reading books. Yes. Dogs love chewing on bones. Okay. Okay. So you love reading books. This is the example. You start reading your book. And you turn the page and you read it. And this is the most enjoyable book you've ever read. And then you turn the page again and you keep reading and you keep reading. And, and pretty you keep soon reading. I've stayed up until 3 a.m. trying to finish reading. this amazing book. And you keep reading. Yep. And you've, you've tried to stay up till 3 a.m. And then you keep reading. And this is the book that never ends. Every time you flip a page, there's a whole long list of pages. So you are now 
10,000 pages in, and you get to the point where you're like, I'm done reading. I just am to a point where I can't do it anymore. Okay. It will happen at some point. Oh, for sure. My eyes will be tired. I'll be tired. Yes. So the same thing can happen with the dogs. Even though this treat is amazing and everything else, um, they like to, you, you like to finish the book eventually and then start a new one or something, I would assume. Yes. The dogs love to finish the chew bone so that they can start another one later. And we, we like to see, the dogs love to destroy things and we want to get to the point where they don't actually destroy things and it takes time for them to chew it up. So we get the biggest bone that we can find or the biggest chew bone. And then the dog looks at it and goes, I can't destroy that. We actually did that with Sammy. Yes. Sammy would be the prime example of that. So we went from, uh, we got her a Kong because Kongs are indestructible. Greatest toy of all time. She chewed it up. She chewed it up. Yep. Chewed it up immediately. I took it back to the store. I was like, hey, maybe this one was defective. Uh, It says greatest toy, indestructible, yada, yada. We've had it for 20 minutes. It's chewed in half. They said, huh, go get another one. So we got another one. We got the black Kong. No, no, no. I got another red one. Got another red one. Took it home. Okay. By the time I got home, same thing. She'd figured it out too. So it took even less time, you know, 15 minutes, gone. Chewed in half, not gone, but chewed in half. Yeah. So then I went back and they said, ah, you must need the upgrade. Go, go black because it's stronger. Yeah. The black, the, in, the super duper indestructible Kongs. Yep. So we did that. We went up a size because we had originally got maybe the medium based off the weight recommendations. We went up a size. Now we're at the bigger size and the black Kong, she goes home, she chews it in half. And I went back and they said, well, try this. So I gave her another one in the store. I gave it to her. And she was like, chew, 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 and a half. And they went, oh, you need to move to these tire, tire biters. biters. They're the best. So I got this tire biter. This thing is like 10 it was inches. Like it's that like a thick. Yes. Yeah, so this is like a dang dinner plate. And it was a tire thickness, everything else. I gave it to her and she was like, chew, chew. I can't destroy this. I'm not interested anymore. And she never touched it. No, that was over. So the key is to find a chew bone that your dog actually can destroy. A reasonable amount of time would be anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours of working at it, depending on the dog. And get that size appropriate chew bone. Give them to them on a regular basis. It's a great distractor. It's a great mental um, stimulant and a great time waster and a great way to uh, clean teeth. That was where I was going with all of that. Full circle. Teeth cleaner. Pick the right bone for your dog. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for tuning in. That last question turned into a long, convoluted story. It's the only way that they work. It is. That's how that happens. So thank you guys for all your questions. We will be back shortly with our next part two of this week's Yawa. Thanks, guys. Okay, and we're back. Welcome. Welcome back. Part two. Short break is over, uh, and we're ready to... Oh, wait, 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 wait. What was that? Those of you that watched part one probably noticed this sexy hat that Kat was wearing. Yes, you guys have been on us for a while, and... 
we now officially have some merch in. We have a whole line of hats, caps, lids, whatever you want to call them. They are coming to a standingstonekennels.com slash store near you. <laughs> that was that was awesome. Uh, these are the first ones that are out. So they will be on our store and available for purchase and shipping out tomorrow. Tomorrow. The Murica lid. It's got a beautiful hat. Uh, excuse me. A beautiful patch flag. It's got the rogue lid up there and stars and stripes. And... Uh, or just stars, I guess. But then uh, it's a it's a blue mesh back, beautiful gray front. This thing is sexy, and Cat makes it look as such. And there is a back that says "Standing Stone." It's a standing stone, just so you know you're representing. And just so you know, I'm not taking this hat off because I've had hair. It's, it's horrible. It's terrible. All right, so. I have a very interesting thing that happened recently, and I want to talk about it. Because we get a lot of questions a about ton of questions. puppy biting. Puppy biting is a, is a very common thing. It's a very natural thing, and it is a thing that a lot of people are struggling with. Because puppies bite. They have sharp they teeth. Do. They explore their world with their mouth, so it's natural mm-hmm. and normal for them to bite. Mm-hmm. But... But... Sometimes the biting gets out of control. And we, a while back, for those of you that are um, loyal followers or subscribers, those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, definitely hit that subscribe button because it's uh, important to us. So those of you that are subscribing, subscribing probably already have watched this and we specifically said, hey, if you've got puppy biters, or I said, there's no, there's no we it's usually me making these outlandish comments of, hey, if you've got puppy biters, bring them to the kennel and we'll help you. Um, somebody took us up on that. And their puppy biting wasn't quite as described. Um, it wasn't... Wasn't as expected, I suppose. It 100% caught me off guard. And it was a once in a ever situation for me. We have a 16-week-old puppy. Yes, 16 weeks cute as a button, sweet little girl, bird drive, intelligence, very willing to work, cooperative, all of the Tons of basic obedience already. Also independence, which is a big part of being a bird dog, but cooperative for the session. I mean, doing all of the things that you would expect a well-rounded 16-week-old puppy to do. And I said, hmm, where is this uh, biting at? They said, well, it's typically it's around nail trimming. That's what we're really, really struggling with. We start nail trims and we're to the point where we've pretty much just have to pin her down and try and trim them. And I was like, yeah, okay. I've worked with some puppies. We can work through this. I'd be happy to help you. So we sit down. I have my tools ready. I've got my clippers and my Dremel so we can work through the session. And... It didn't go as I expected it would, which is not something that happens. It's not something that happens at this stage in the game very often. I usually have a pretty good idea of how things are going to go based on reading the dog and their behaviors and their reactions to different micro tests that I can do. Just and you did take some time to build some rapport with her. It wasn't just like I jumped oh, this dog right out. Here's of Here's this brand yeah. new sixteen week old puppy. Wham bam. Here you go, ma'am. I'm gonna pin you down and trim your nails. No, worked with her through some training sessions, did some consult stuff. Mm-hmm. And then 
the through the course of the conversation and everything working with her, it got brought up, hey, this is where we struggle is with the nail trimming. And so at the end of the situation, it was, well, let's go and work through We've that. We've spent now. enough time. She should be tired, which is a great time to start um, working through behavioral things like that. And, and she so has some trust for you now. Yeah. We built some rapport. We got to play with birds. That was exciting. And um, I felt good about it. So sat down with her and I started with, I'm going to just help you slowly roll over onto your back in my lap. And that's where we're going to begin getting you comfortable and moving into a nail trim. And I rolled her over onto her back and I got her kind of half situated. And the next thing that I knew, I had a puppy latched onto my arm. And I'm not kidding. It was 100% attached. Uh, Not your typical puppy biting. This was her way of saying, do not touch me this way. I know what is coming. I do not want it. I do not want to deal with this. And it has worked for me in the past, so I will try and bite you. So we spent the next approximately hour and a half working through a session where um, basically I I spent an hour and a half holding her. Um, I did get her nails trimmed. I did get her nails ground. Just a little bit, you know, I mean, just get used to that process. And um, every time we did anything different, it was not squirming to get away. It was, I am going to show you that this is not okay. And this is not part of what I am okay with today. I mean, it was 100% defiance and 100% her way of communicating to say, leave me the beep alone. So... Um, I turned the air conditioning down. Yep. I sat underneath the vent because it's easy to get worked up, to get warm, to get frustrated. And those are the situations that need the exact opposite of that. We have to be as 100% calm as possible so that we can really help the dog through that. But at the same time, be more stubborn than her in that situation. It was one of those things that as we worked through it, It took probably upwards of 20 minutes of restraining, basically, uh, before we could get to the point of trimming the first nail. And And restraining her so in a way that would prevent you from getting getting a bit more. Yeah. Uh, We did try and see. Can't really see 100%, but like this hand took the brunt of it. It was like all over the place. Yeah. And. We did try and utilize a muzzle. Unfortunately, I just didn't have anyone small. We didn't have one small enough because typically, like you then said, we've never run into this with a 16 week old puppy before Mm -hmm. necessarily needing a muzzle. Uh, Some of the older dogs that come in for training, we utilize a muzzle, a muzzle for a couple of reasons. Yeah, that comes down to like bite force and things of that nature. You know, like if if a dog were to say because they are unsure of how to properly communicate, they were to say, Art, I don't want you to do that. It can cause some pretty dang serious damage with a mature dog. With a puppy, usually it just hurts. It's not. Teeth are like little needles though. They are like little needles and it definitely is not comfortable. It hurts a lot. Let me take a step back from that. I don't want to downplay this. It hurts a lot. But the, the difference is 
if you get bit by the bite, I mean, it'll be bruised for days and days and days. It's a pretty bad but deal. But the muzzle, what I was going to say, though, the muzzle is a good tool. People think, oh, muzzles are bad. Muzzles are scary for the dog. Muzzles, muzzles, muzzles have negative connotations. Well, the muzzles are a great way to not only protect the handler from getting bit terribly, uh, but it also teaches the dog that they can't bite this person, that yeah. that that isn't an option. And so when it isn't an option, it makes that behavior go away, basically. The key in that process is to show them that the biting behavior, that biting desire or that attempt at saying, leave me the beep alone is not going to work. And in order to be able to show that it's not going to work, you have to be able to not move away, not pull away, not back off, not give in. Um, you know, and there is, there is exceptions to every rule. I mean, you can push to the extent of causing a problem. Um, you have to take it at the dog's pace to an extent, but when that warning is given or that attack is made, we have to be able to say, I'm going to stand my ground. Um, and I'm not recommending that anybody here stand their ground with a dog and get bit, but um, when you have that muzzle on, you can do that and you can do that comfortably in a sense of and knowing safely. I'm not going to get bit. So I need to stand here. And if they try, it's one of those things that they can go, Oh, that didn't get me the response that I want. And it also didn't turn ugly. You know, it's not a matter of they get disciplined from that. And I think a lot of behaviorists will talk about, you know, um, what would be the technical term of that? Just a correction based training for aggression is not the answer either. It's a lot of times it's just saying, look, this didn't work. And then they go, dogs understand very quickly. Oh, okay. I get it. I'm not, I'm not supposed to do that. Well, or they just understand, well, that didn't work. So maybe try something different. Yeah. Which could be to struggle to get away, which is drastically safer for us. And then when they realize that that doesn't work, then they go, maybe I should just stand here and, or lay here or whatever. And just give in. Yep. Just give in. And you know, that's going to be the best scenario in those situations. And it's best to start those things with puppies from day one. We do a slight, like a submissive hold drill. And that just says, roll over here, lay still. Oh, you want to fight a little bit? Okay. You're going to squirm and you're going to wriggle and you might scream bloody murder depending on the dog, but you have to have enough confidence in yourself to know that when I am holding this little wriggly puppy here, I'm not hurting them. You know, I have this bridge made. It just says, hey, don't move. And then they wiggle and fight and wiggle and wriggle and wriggle. And, and go, sometimes they get very <sighs> vocal and it's screaming and, and complaining yep. and it sounds really bad because they are not happy with being restrained. And so they're trying to vocalize about it and it sounds really bad. And then people make the mistake of saying, because you love your puppy. Oh geez. Well, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to scare him. I must be doing that. Yeah. No, your puppy's just vocalizing about it. Just like putting them in a crate. Sometimes they say, I don't want to be here. I'm going to scream and cry about it. Well, they're not hurt. No, it's part of life. It's normal. They're trying to figure out a way to get what they want. Right. And this 
being able to restrain a puppy and handle a puppy and work through things with a puppy is so important because you're going to have vet visits. You're going to have situations where your hunting dog gets hurt, running through a barbed wire fence, getting into a porcupine, any number of things that they're hurt, getting caught in a trap. And you are there to help them and you don't want them lashing out and viciously biting and attacking you in the process of trying to help them. So we worked through this and it took a while. And the key and the thing that we were looking for is before I could trim each nail, I needed her to understand that she was going to have to lay there and she was going to have to do it respectfully. If she tried to lash out or anything else to try and get out of the situation, I would stop the trimming aspect of things and not like that work to get me out of it. It was just, we're going to hold you here and we're going to wait. And once you're behaving, then we'll trim a nail. And get to the point where she went from her initial move was to come after me to her next move was to vocalize and to maybe mouth in my direction and go, yeah, that didn't work and it's not ideal and it's not what she I'm supposed to be doing. She was making better choices. She started to make better choices and that took within the first 30 minutes, she started to make better choices and then it continued to work. And even though she was making better choices, Um, she still was struggling and fighting and trying to get out of it. And so we took the time, which is what we always preach. Make sure that when you're working through these drills that you, you have the time to work through it because you don't want to give in. You don't want to cut it short. You don't want to give up on it. You want to be able to work through it. And we did. It took a long time. We worked through it. She laid respectfully and calmly for each nail that was trimmed and then repeated that process for each nail that was lightly ground all the way around. We desensitized her to the grinder itself. She struggled with that a bit. And basically, um, I show how to do this in a a video that will be coming out soon with Thunder, but basically touching the handle portion of the Dremel to her pad just to feel the vibration and learn to get over that and not have this big freak out about that as well. But working through all of those things, and then once it was all done, helped her to relax and basically waited for that feeling that I got from her while I was holding her to say, good, she's given up, she's given in, she's relaxed. I said, okay, you can get up. And talking with the, the family afterward, you know, it was brought to our attention. They said, after seeing how you handle her, we tried some of those things, but her reaction gave us the impression that we were hurting her or we were doing something that wasn't okay. And then we let her up. So she, they said, well, we probably created where she's at today as well. Possibly every dog is predisposed to be something. And most dogs are, are going to show their true colors through development. And we can aid or deter good and bad things from happening. But ultimately, they are what they are. And it doesn't take much for them to exponentially get better at whatever they're naturally going to be. Um, and the same thing can be in the opposite respect. So having good timing, feeling confident and comfortable in what you're doing and reaching out when you don't is the, the moral of the story. So, um, it was a surprising event. I wish we'd had the opportunity to video it. Um, but we didn't truly expect that this was what it was going to be about. So I wasn't prepared, but, and um, then we, we always have that thought in the back of our mind that the internet might not truly be prepared for what that looks like because it didn't, it didn't look, look good. good. No. It didn't look good. I'm I'm literally all I'm doing is holding this puppy here and she is screaming bloody murder, trying to get a hold of me in any way, shape, or form. And 
Um, Taken out of context, people it, would look at that that it looks bad. You were truly hurting her, which all things considered, it was the complete opposite. I mean, she had already bit you multiple times yeah. and you were just trying to restrain her with enough force to keep her from being able to get away. bite you again yep. and get and, away and bite me again. Yeah. And, and not hurt her. Um, but she, it didn't look like an enjoyable process for, for you or for her. No, and- I'm, and she was severely stressed out during the process. And we talk about this a lot during our training. Um, that stress is a very important part of growth and, um, but within reason, right? So there is stress. Uh, you, you talk about what working muscles and bodybuilding and lifting weights and exercising. Um, when you exercise, you push to the point of stressing your body. If you push too far, your body breaks. If you don't push far enough, your body doesn't grow. So stress is a, is a very important part of dog training and the appropriate amount of stress is where we try and float in that window. And I mean, she was on the top end of that, but a lot of that stress was all caused by her, um, pushing back, you know, and all we did was showed how she can have a less stressful training situation in the future. We start that stressing process even with our biosensor training with the puppies. 100%. We do slight, mild stressing positions. We put these puppies in that they don't find in nature um, for very short amount of time, like five seconds. And there's only five different positions that we put them in. And those mild stresses are going to build stronger cardiac systems, stronger adrenal systems, stronger uh, immune systems that are ultimately going to build stronger puppies overall. Now, if we push those baby stressors on the babies too far, we can cause permanent damage and break things. You know, I mean, it's the the same concept, you know, you stress them out too much, they can get overstressed and it could cause a number of different issues, which is why it's very important to follow the specific rules of just a few seconds in all of the different positions. So any of you guys that are struggling with puppy biting, know that you are not alone. Definitely reach out to us. And a great place to do that is patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. Now, I believe we do have time for one really good question. I know you got one lined up there. Oh, man. I better quick get one. Quick get one. <laughs> okay. This one is from Nicole Bishop. My husband and I love watching your videos, and they are so helpful for us when it comes to training our dogs. Oh, well, thanks for watching. Yes. We are wondering what is the best way to handle keeping a female dog that's in heat away from our male dog. We understand keeping them separate, but they're in the yard and the house together. And when the time comes, can we even leave them out of our sight? Also, what are some of the signs to look for to know when your female GSP is in heat? Well, I'm going to say, first of all, if both of your dogs are intact, um, he is going to be the, the, one of the fastest signs to know that she is in heat or coming into heat soon. He's going to start sniffing her and bothering her in a way that and you've getting never seen kind before. of excited and worked up and yep. a little more amped up. He is the, the good thing about that is the actual fertile period is not until somewhere between day seven and 21 ish, depending on the dog. So you have a little bit of time as long as you're paying attention on a regular basis to your dogs. And so, them living in the house with you, it's going to be difficult. Pretty easy. Yeah, it's going well, to be difficult to miss. to miss. Pretty easy to find. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, so him being a first sign, another thing that we notice with our females because we also watch very closely because 
tracking heat cycles is important to a breeding breeding program. program. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll see little pimples show up on the vulva of the female a lot of times. It's a sign of increased hormones flowing. And then there's some swelling involved as well in the vulva, um, as well as uh, first sign of blood usually is pretty light. Um, And then by day two, it's darkened up quite a bit. So Um, I would say that. Gotten red. Gotten redder, sorry. So the... The actual amount of discharge is low, but the color is typically pretty dark, almost looks black sometimes. And that's usually you're like right at day zero. Um, and then within a day, like Kat's saying, it turns redder and the flow is going to increase to the point where they're bleeding everywhere. And depending on the dog, sometimes it's like blood. It looks like a horror scene everywhere they go. There's just blood everywhere. But some dogs are very, very clean mm-hmm. um, and they pool so they aren't dripping blood everywhere. And so it's easier to miss like day one or day two. And then you'll be like, is that a drop of blood? Yeah. If, if you notice your dog swelling a little bit, take a clean white paper towel and just wipe them. If there's any color at all that resembles brown to red, pink, something, then um, you either have some kind of serious UTI that's ble- bleeding, but more likely than not, your dog's in heat. And the question about do you have to, to watch? Do? Well, have to watch them. Can they be out of your sight at all? Dogs can when get bred. Yes, dogs no. can get bred very quickly. <laughs> it does not take long for them to be out of sight, and boom, they're tied. The experienced boys that we have downstairs in the right situation. I mean, we're in and out in less than 25, 30 seconds, and well, not in and out. We're in and done in 25, 30 seconds and then tied for 10 to 20 minutes, uh, depending on the situation. But it doesn't take any time at all. I mean, it is done. Yep. And then they're bred. And then you have to go, okay, are we going to have a litter of puppies off of this tie or are we not? So constant supervision, keeping them completely separate. 100% um, separate. Completely 100% separate. And then um, even as much as crating them separately, we actually have people that we know that their male intact dog was just kept in another room from their female. And, and he, he dug through the sheetrock yep. wall into the other room to get her bread. And then they had a litter of puppies. So yep. he, he dug a hole through the wall to get out of the laundry room or whatever room that he was kept in separately to get to her and breed her. So... That drive, and he was not a not a stud dog. He was Brings not. A whole new that was his first. Tail. Yeah, that was his <laughs> first breeding ever. It wasn't intentional. Um, he wasn't an experienced stud. It's just natural desire and drive makes these dogs do these things. They get crazy, and so he. Uh, and if you have the option to have one, the, the male typically, because it's not the one bleeding all over the place, but you say, hey, um, friend that likes dogs, can you watch our male for the two to three weeks that four weeks, maybe depending on the female is she's in heat. It's a, it's a safer bed in the long We actually also have clients on. that say, hey, can I book a spot for my dog to come in for training? While she's in heat. While she's in heat or mm-hmm. uh, for my male to come in for training while my female's in heat so that I don't have to deal with this. And then, you know, we keep them for a couple months, works on some things that they want worked on, and then they don't have to deal with that. And then if they aren't planning on doing any breedings after that first heat cycle, they plan on getting their female spayed and then they don't have to worry about dogs digging through walls and other <laughs> craziness happening. But I will say that was the uh, creation of a, a very nice dog that is now a Uper native. So 
That's all we're saying. Yeah. Well, that whole situation ended up leading us to very good friends, which we may or may not have met otherwise. So 100%. things sometimes happen for a reason. Thank but... goodness for the crazy wall eaters. <laughs> right? Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for the questions. Sorry we were only able to get to one, but we had a really good story and situation that we wanted to share that we thought would be very educational, which is all that we're trying to really do with these Yawas. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back soon with part three. And we're back. It's part three this week, folks. Um, If you missed part one and part two, you need to go back and watch them. It's a really, really, really good episode this week. And I'm sure you're all wondering. I said it was a bourbon kind of night. I want to talk about that for a split L second. We've got Laws Whiskey House. This is a four grain straight bourbon, and it was a gift from David. Thank you very much, David. It is pretty dang good, even if I have to say so myself. They're a Colorado natives or... Not really natives. natives. They kind of go back and forth, but... The bourbon, but the is bourbon from is Colorado native, so and they live there part of the year. And we have one of their dogs in for training right now, and they brought it by when they visited him this week. If you are up that direction, the this would be a bottle that would definitely be good at looking at. So again, thank you very much. So we chit chatted about a bunch of things in part one and part two, and here we are all about finishing out some questions for you guys. Yes. So, first question from Little Wendell on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I have a seven-month-old wire hair pointing Griffon. I bought a awesome. launcher and could use some tips. Are you able to run multiple drills on the same field? I guess I don't understand a dirty field. Also, how do you feel about game farms? So, great questions. We love answering questions about teaching people how to train, teaching people how to hunt. Um, and this definitely feels fits right in that. Um, yep. So if you've got one launcher, one launcher is better than none, but what you're going to need to do is set up your training situations to be as wildlike and realistic as possible. That is all we're trying to do is simulate as much as we can a wild bird hunting situation. So I think the number one mistake that people make with one launcher is they set their launcher out, they go get their dog, they work the bird, they put the dog away, they move the launcher. Or they bring the dog back to the same launcher. That would be an even bigger mistake. But what Or you're they gonna, put a flag by their launcher. Well, yeah, the flag is all mistake. part of it. But the the single... Yeah, don't get me started on the flags. Um, we're going we're gonna to take that launcher in that session and carry it with you. Reload it while the puppy is off hunting, doing its thing. Set it over here. Work out and hunt. And then come back into it. So... You're going to be hunting an area, move that launcher around, try and make it as um, nonchalant and and move it nonchalantly. Don't put as much, you know, try and put little focus on that. You, yep. If you can't do that and you aren't sneaky enough, um, 
get a couple more launchers, it'll be better. Or in a the long friend. Run. If you train with a friend, heck then yeah, you can get take- a friend and then get a friend that has a friend and then each of them can buy launchers and then you can have a whole collection and you can of launchers. <laughs> you can sync them together. Yes. Uh, but what I was actually going to say about having a friend and maybe they have a dog, you can have could your guys- bird setter move it Yeah, forward. have the person that's mm-hmm. walking along with you. You take your dog and go, come on, little Wendell. Follow me this Whittle, way. Wendell? I don't know what his dog's name is, okay. but maybe Whittle Wendell. Wendell. Uh, come with me, doggy. And th- you start walking this way and your training friend says, I will move the launcher and get it reset for you. And they take it and they move it over this way so that your dog is not seeing that happen. Uh, Try and put the bird in a new area, not an area you've already hunted over. It's going to be a good option if you have that. And then... The next thing with the birds and the dirty field aspect of stuff. So a dirty field would mean where there's a whole bunch of old scent, old scent planted, um, as well as old scent from other dogs can be part of a dirty field. Not as much for a puppy, more for an adult male typically is the biggest problem. They run around marking everything because there's pee spots everywhere. In the beginning, we recommend working your puppy through clean fields. There's going to be a bird and a bird and a bird and nothing else out there. It's going to make it easy for them to differentiate between no scent and scent. Then once you've progressed through that, then you can start moving stuff around a little bit. So when we start puppies, we set a course out and every dog runs through that course and the birds are all in the same place. So there's only bird scent in those specific spots in the field that day. When we get to Finished dogs, they always run last in the field or the more advanced dogs, they run toward the end of the day. And then we put birds as often as we can in different places, maybe close, but different places so that they have to differentiate between, Ooh, what is this? And they'll get birdie and maybe lock up and stand there and you go figure it out. It's not there anymore. Yep. That's old scent. So that would be what the, the dirty field is. And you definitely can utilize dirty fields to your advantage, but you need to have a dog that's prepared and understands what's going Experienced on. Experienced a little bit more. Just a smidgen. And then how do you feel about game farms? Game farms are good, but use them wisely. Um, the biggest thing that Don't we can- overuse them is the biggest thing. Yes. <laughs> because they can also teach naughty habits because- Penry's Game farm birds, birds are not wild. Yep. They don't fly like wild birds. Now, if you get the opportunity, go to the game farm and say, hey, we've got a special 20 pheasants for yada, yada. You say, okay, will you take my 20 pheasants and let them out of the box? Don't try and dizzy them or give me a better opportunity to find them. We want this to be challenging. And, and as much like a real hunting situation as we can make it. Yep. And then feel really, really, really good inside if you find and kill 50% of the birds that they put out. If you're doing more than 50%, you are way above the expectation here. Um, But you're going to be way better off putting out 20, finding 10 that run and flush wild. That you had to work for. for. Yeah. And your dog had to work for. It's going to be the best situation for the dog. Yeah. Great Great question. question. Next question from Sal394, which was also seconded by Genevra Smith on Instagram. How do you deal with family members undoing your training? I'm teaching heel with your easy lead and it's been great, but my wife walks him and lets him run amok and everything is undone. Help. And then 
Genevra said, this happens in my household also. I thought I was the only one. Well, you're not the only one. It's a question that gets asked a lot. All um, the time. Whether it's a family member or a roommate or just friends that come over and interact with your dog. Uh, people always say, you know, everyone lets my dog act crazy and then they get wild and they're so well behaved when no one else is around. Super, 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 super common. And the key is that everybody has to be on the same page. Everybody in the family has to partake in the dog training and the dog chores and the, and the expectations. expectations. Because for example, this weekend we had a training seminar, a puppy training seminar that we got to involve our newest puppy Thunder in. He was 10 weeks old. He got to do a few of the drills, not everything, but some things. Um, and I had to let him out to go potty before we started working with him. And I let him out. And what did he do? He did not potty. He ran right up to somebody to get attention because he was like, oh, there's all these people, people. here. <laughs> yep, distractions. And I said, nobody touch him. Nobody pet him. Ignore him. And I said that to everyone. Um, and then he realized, Kind of abruptly. I mean, it caught, it caught a couple of people off guard. It was like- I said, don't touch him. Oh, whoa. Sorry. What, what did I do? And let him go. And he realized he wasn't getting attention from anybody and he could concentrate on what he was supposed to be doing, which was peeing. Mm-hmm. He went potty. I said, okay, guys, thank you. I wanted him to have an opportunity to go potty, empty his bladder instead of going and getting pet and then realizing, oh my gosh, my bladder is full. And now I'm kind of excited. And now I'm peeing excitedly because excited piddling can become a developed habit, especially in situations like that, that happen over and over and over. Anything a dog's doing, they're conditioning themselves to. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Anything a dog's doing. They're conditioning themselves to. Got it. Yep. We say that a lot because it's so true. And I, you know, might have seemed a little abrupt, but I explained myself and everyone was like, oh, that makes sense. I completely understand why you would say that or why you would want that. It's the same with my dog when we're healing or it's the same with my dog when, you know, we have friends coming over. Everyone deals with it and making your expectations known is completely fair. And if they're truly your friends and your family, they will understand and respect that. 100%. Uh, We talk about a lot, three things that are important in dog training. The number one most important thing is? Timing. Number two? Consistency. Consistency is what you're struggling with. And that's the second most important thing in our opinion on dog training. So we need to get that one squared away. What's number three? Stress. Stress. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but it is in the top three. It's just like when you exercise, though, you have to stress your body enough to get stronger and grow. It's the same with dog training. They have to be stressed a little bit in situations to learn and to train and to get better. So, Cool. Next question. From Donna Wright, 8927 on Instagram. What guidelines do you follow when or if your dogs are in your home? Are they required to stay on their beds or can they free roam? Will you let them play ball with your son eventually or do you limit interactions to working only? I thought this was a great question. People are always interested what we're doing with our dogs, what we're doing with our puppies, Mm -hmm. what we're doing with our son. Um, And so we do have expectations. They do typically come out of their crates, get a chance to go potty, of course come upstairs and immediately it's on your dog bed for a second because the excitement of coming out of their crate, going outside to potty and then zooming upstairs. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like, what is going Just on settle here? settle down for a minute. 
So we say, okay. But it's totally different with one dog versus we bring up two or three or four. Which we also talk about that all the time. So there's a pretty big difference between one and two dogs. Hmm. No, there's not much difference. I said it it wrong. said it wrong. You screwed up my thing. Well, do your thing. Okay. So there's not a lot of difference between one dog and two dogs. If you have one dog, you're considering a second. There isn't a lot of difference. Now, if you have two dogs and you're considering a third, there's a lot of difference between two and three dogs because you move from two dogs to a a pack. pack. And then there's not much difference between three and ten, so go for it. Yeah. Once you've hit three, you might as well have ten. Whatever. So, sorry I screwed up your saying, but... Yes, if we just bring, if I'll we just set have you one straight. up, if we just have one up, they're pretty calm, pretty chill. But they do; they feed off each other's energy. So we've got three of them up. It's like a herd, a pack, mm-hmm. and they try and get riled up very easily with new and exciting things. So at first, it's go chill on your dog beds for a little bit. Let that excitement energy wear down just a little bit until you're relaxed, and then it's yeah, free roam. Don't get into anything. Uh, it's free roaming, but it's still fairly monitored. Um, and then they get to interact with each other. They get to interact with Aiden. They get to interact with us. You know, if we start seeing any escalation of that energy level again, we say, yeah, go get back on your dog beds for a little bit, guys. Um, but and we want to have the understanding that inside the expectation is that we, we all have a low key attitude about life. Outside is where we run and romp and play. And if you've watched any of our exercise videos, hunting dog health videos that we talk about how we keep dogs in shape in the off season and prepare them for the hunting season, you can see how excited they get and ramped and amped up they get and how little we care about that. You know, it's all, it's fine in that situation. It's not fine in the house. And then as far as the playing ball aspect of things, there's everything training related. Um, we have a different situation than most. So our dogs have pretty high levels of excellence that they're kind of expected to be able to achieve, whether that's the testing or also the guiding aspect of things. So there is more training or at least structure in the play. And um, as and Aiden develops, yeah, and expectations, but as Aiden develops, he will understand those expectations and, and learn how to help so that he can in- be involved in the play, but it have just enough structure to be continually beneficial. So because anything the dogs are doing, they're conditioning. So if he's letting them retrieve sloppily and they're getting away with it because he's having a good old time and doesn't truly know the expectation or how to maintain the expectation, they're just going to get sloppier and they're going to have fun doing it. So they're going to want to do that even more. Yep. So we stay fairly structured, but have fun all at the same time. So last question of the night, I believe, and I I love it because they actually told me how to say their name instead of me stumbling through their Insta handle. So from Allison on Instagram, when you guys use pigeons, specifically in launchers, during pointing training, how does the scent of a pigeon translate to the scent of a pheasant? Do y'all use the pigeons only because they are reusable training tools for you, being that they're homing pigeons? Why do you use pigeons for training when you're mostly hunting pheasants? Does it matter what birds you train with in getting your dog to learn a quality game bird scent? Thanks for all your amazing content. 
I'll tell my fellow, I tell my fellow bird trainer friends all about your YouTube channel because it's been such a great resource to me. Well, thank, well, thank you. you. So, th- and thank you, Allison, for telling me how to say your Instagram handle so I didn't butcher it. Because and because we're I'm really here, good at that. And because we're here in part three, I just want to mention to the 69% of you watching this video right now that don't subscribe, we would appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button. Thank you. <laughs> that is all. That is all. Uh, so the reason that we use pigeons is yes, the homing pigeons, they're a renewable resource. They have a very great purpose for beginning our woe training behavior through our pointing, um, through our positive pigeon drill where we're throwing those pigeons. Um, you can't really do that same drill with chucker or pheasant or quail as well, because they don't fly off and go land on your coop. They fly and land and then the dog has an opportunity to bump that bird again and chase it again and then bump it and chase it so it doesn't fulfill the purpose that we're looking for that bird to fulfill so we start with homing pigeons in that drill and then it's an easy transition to go from that pigeon to um, the launchers with that pigeon since it's the same bird pigeons are a pretty smelly bird all the way around they carry a fair amount of scent and it makes an easier transition for a puppy as well as they are inexpensive. So that is part of the introductory portion of that. They're ex- inexpensive with our situation because we're using, utilizing homers. All we're paying for is the, the feed for the most part. And then the barn pigeons or feral pigeons that we refer to lovingly as kill pigeons, um, they are inexpensive to get or trap and trapping pigeons is a big question that we get a lot and so i have a whole cool exciting adventure on our channel here to take you all through on trapping pigeons we're going to start with a little bit of pigeon trapping it's kind of become a problem around here yes we have some feral pigeons that are living where they're not supposed to i've caught them in aiden's pool they're pooping all over the deck they're pooping all over the back porch they're pooping they're pooping on my car they've got to go they're everywhere. They're they're just they're not going back where they're supposed to. So we need to get them caught up and put them back where they need to be. Um, and then we're going to move into a couple places that I found that have a ton of pigeons, and we're going to help from a pest control standpoint. And then also have some more birds for training. So they're inexpensive, but the key to them is that they fly well. So we can do all of this introductory work, and birds that fly away make for better training situations. And then. Through the use of these pigeons and the use of the launchers, we are teaching and conditioning the pointing expectation and behavior that we want to see out of our dogs. And then once that behavior has been exhibited and we can formally work on it, it's easier to transition that to other birds. Uh, And we just teach scent recognition that now chucker smell that smell is important. And now quail, that smell is important. Realistically, it takes maybe one or two birds to go, oh yeah, I know what that is. Most of the time, one. I took uh, some dogs the very first time to go up north to hunt grouse and woodcock. We never trained on grouse and woodcock. Never, never once. And they talk about woodcock as being kind of a smelly, kind of a weird bird that can take a little time for some dogs. But they're, they're good birds to train on because they don't fly very far, so you can work them again and whatever else. So um, I had Maggie at the time, who's one of our retired females. She now lives a life of luxury in Houston, um, South Texas area, and she, or Southern Texas area, 
she was uh, running through the woods and she kind of got birdie and then there went a woodcock. And after that, she pointed every single woodcock from there on out. I just took the one for her to go, is that? Oh, yep, it was. I need to be more cautious next time, which is why wild birds can really teach dogs a lot about what their job is and that they need to be pointing them. Absolutely. So fantastic question. Yes. And they can learn how to point lots of different species of birds, even if they learn on pigeons. Here he goes. Here he goes. (laughs) I know what he's going to say. Well, guys and gals, I'm out of bourbon and we're out of time. Thanks, everybody, for watching this week's Yawa. Uh, We tried to break it into a few parts to make it a little more digestible. We're playing around with the best way to do that and find the best way to answer as many questions as we possibly can for you. Thanks for watching, and we will be back next week. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat, the dog trainer.